From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 66. With the 4th of July holiday coming up and a lot of folks traveling like crazy for the start of the baseball season, I'm actually going to run a solo episode today just as we kind of get our bearings as the world changes before us. So we're going to cover some different questions. Hopefully you find something that's applicable to you and helpful with your training and your preparation. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's an all-in-one superfood supplement with 75 whole food sourced ingredients to support your body's nutritional needs across five critical areas. Energy, immunity, gut health, hormonal support, and healthy aging. I'm an avid user of Athletic Greens myself in spite of the fact that I tend to be a supplement minimalist. To me, this is a product that is much more like whole food nutritional insurance as opposed to a true supplement. The ingredients have been carefully selected at the highest quality, most natural source. You get essential vitamins and minerals, digestive enzymes, prebiotics, probiotics, and that's a zero compromise approach from the company. It's plant-based, sourced from whole foods at the highest quality, so you won't find harmful chemicals, artificial colors or flavors, preservatives or added sugar. Um, really, it's perfect for folks who are gluten and dairy-free, paleo, keto, vegan-friendly, um, great for people who are intermittent fasting, all that fun stuff. Um, personally, I love it for, for obviously our athletes who don't get enough nutritional uh, benefits from fruits and vegetables because they don't eat enough. So it's a way to kind of plug in holes in diets. But also, I really like it for our college and professional athletes who may have complex travel schedules where quality food options aren't always at hand. Um, on a personal level, I'm a husband, father of three, and an entrepreneur. Um, we split our time between two states, and, and I'm also still an avid lifter. Um, so life is inherently crazy, and it can be stressful, and sleep deprivation is definitely something that we encounter. So I rely on Athletic Greens um, for part of my immune support and believe firmly that it's, it's made a big difference in keeping me healthy in spite of how crazy our lifestyle is. Um, they've got a great offer in place. If you head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, They'll get you 20 free travel packets with your purchase. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y, and you can claim your special offer. Our first question of the week comes from an Instagram post. What are the best kinds of recovery drills after pitching? So I think we can speak to specific drills, but I think it's very important first to speak to general principles. So when I look at recovery, um, you know, for any particular athletic endeavor, um, not just pitching, I, I think about it being both systemic and tissue specific, right? So we have to recover as an entire body before we worry about, you know, recovering as an elbow or a shoulder, whatever it may be. So I think we get really caught up in the tissue specific aspect of it, um, but it's really important to focus on the big picture first. Um, hydration, nutrition, sleep, these are all things that are going to be key from a systemic standpoint. And what's interesting is that the research is really compelling in these regards. Like we know injury rates tend to go sky high when college students are going through final exams and sleep deprivation becomes a challenge. Um, on the other hand, it's not necessarily quite as tried and true when we get more tissue specific. Things are a little bit more hazy. So you always want to bank on the things um, that we know deliver time and time again. So, you know, for most athletes, that's hydration, that's nutrition, that's sleep. Those are the single, the three most important things that you can possibly do after a pitching outing if you want to bounce back well. 
Um, and speaking systemically, it's more universally applicable, right? There aren't a ton of variations across the population in the need to you know, get fluids in, eat the right calories, get vitamins and minerals, and sleep. Whereas when we start to talk a little bit more about the tissue-specific aspect of things, you tend to see a lot more variability. So using the example of soft tissue work, you'll see some athletes that, that love dry needling and others don't necessarily feel as great after it. You'll see some athletes that, that like to do fascial manipulation, others that say that maybe it's a little bit too aggressive for them. Some like instrument-assisted soft tissue, some folks like cupping. Um, there's all these different approaches to, to attack soft tissue work, and many of them can be, you know, successful but in reality there's you know there's variability across the population we don't get that nearly as much when we're talking about a lot of this systemic stuff right we all need to drink water right we all need to sleep plenty um, so just important considerations always bank on the things we know work time and time again um, and now that we've, we've dug in on you know the the systemic aspect let's talk to you about, to about this tissue specific aspect of things so first, uh, we need to talk about the nature of the throwing session, right? Volume, intensity, and the time of the year are all things that you're gonna have to take into account, right? So if you make 20 throws at 60 feet, it's probably not as tense enough stress that you really need to work hard to cover from. Conversely, you go out and you throw an 80-pitch pen, um, you throw to live hitters, you really push it hard, um, those are things that are, are certainly very um, important to consider. So you got to work harder to recover from a higher intensity, higher volume initiative. So secondly, you know, you have to consider the time of year, right? So if we're talking about a situation where an athlete's in the off season, chances are he's doing his throwing program, then he's going to go to his strength training or his med ball stuff or his sprint work, something like that. So throwing is just one piece of the overall puzzle um, that is that training session. Um, you know, conversely, you go in season, you go out and you make a 100-pitch start, chances are you're not going to have a ton of other stuff going on that day, unless you're someone who lifts post-game, whatever it may be. Um, you just realize that, you know, you're, you're trying to uh, recover from a very specific stressor. So um, there are times when you want to consolidate stress and others when you want to recover from stress. So if we're talking about uh, consolidating stress, that might be a scenario where a, a reliever goes out and throws 15 pitches and then lifts right after the game just because they want to be able to, um, you know, effectively put all that stress in one bucket and then maybe have a day off the next day. So we want to consolidate stress so we can kind of attack this high-low model. And there are other scenarios where you want to recover from stress. So if we, we're talking about pitcher on a five-day rotation, day zero, that start is very, very stressful. I don't always love the idea of, of guys going and just crushing a, a really hard lift the next day because in many cases it just digs that hole a little bit deeper. So, um, you know, off-season versus in-season certainly plays into this as well. If you look at like a reliever on the in-season side of things, some of them like to go and do their arm care stuff right after they throw for the consolidation standpoints, where you have to ask, you know, why would a starter go out and do bands after 110 pitches, right? It's just a futile attempt to actually get good cuff function when you have that much fatigue in place. So there's all these different factors you have to sort out on what the best things that you can do for recovery. But the number one thing you want to remember is you, you don't want to take a, a fitness solution to a fatigue problem, right? So if someone is fatigued, they've, you know, they've basically gotten beaten up from a particular outing. The last thing you want to do is go and throw a bunch of fitness solutions at it and dig that hole even deeper. So with that out of the way, um, I think you know, folks tend to fall at one point along a, a continuum 
related to how much range of motion they lose in response to throwing. And my good friend Mike Reinold, um, back in 2008, uh, was one of the authors on a, on a great study that basically looked at um, how range of motion changes at the shoulder and the elbow in professional pitchers after an outing. And what's interesting in that study is you, you saw a wide variety of, of basically total motion characteristics across that population. I think the average was about 191 degrees and, um, you know, but there was a pretty big standard deviation. So we had people who were, you know, substantially tighter than that. We had folks that were substantially looser than that. Um, so what we can really take from this is that there are going to be players who lose very little range of motion as a response to throwing. And there are going to be others that lose a ton and, and certainly some that are right in the middle there. And what this really relates to is, you know, the eccentric stress or the deceleration aspect of throwing. Um, that, that takes place, right? So as you internally rotate your shoulder at crazy high velocities to throw a baseball, the posterior rotator cuff is, is picking up all that slack, right? You're, you're also getting into aggressive elbow extension. So your elbow flexors, your biceps are, are working very, very hard to slow down that motion. So what we know is that eccentric stress tends to lead to, to tissue shortening if it's not uh, addressed with the proper flexibility initiatives. So um, we also know that there are alignment changes that may come about from you know playing a unilateral dominant sport. You can look at the Posture Restoration Institute stuff. Um, they do a great job of outlining this. You know, we have a lot of folks who just re-ingrain some of those asymmetries by going out and playing baseball at a high level. So um, some lose elbow extension, others drop shoulder internal rotation, Others actually will lose shoulder external rotation and flexion. I think that's one that's really overlooked. Um, so really step one is always going to be after that outing, you want to restore normal range of motion. That might be with manual or self-stretching. It might be soft tissue work. It might be positional breathing. It might be a combination of all these things. Um, and what's good is that's stuff that you can do immediately after throwing. And a lot of them are drills that you'll, you'll want to repeat the following day. Um, what I typically like to do um, is to bold certain important exercises in our athletes' individualized warm-ups. And by bolding them, that encourages them to come back to them following their throwing outings. They're just ones that need more focus. So if it's someone with a really flat thoracic spine, we might give them an all-fours belly lift. Um, you know, if it's someone who's got a you know, really, really limited uh, shoulder flexion capacity, we might do some lat stretching. If it's someone who gets a little bit gunked up in the posterior rotator cuff, we might do some sideline cross-body moves in the acumobility ball. Um, really, it's an individual thing, but the, the point is that after you throw, your number one priority has to be to restore your normal range of motion. Um, and thereafter, I, I think you look to passive modalities to help. I'm a big fan of Mark Pro, and a lot of our athletes do use it shortly after throwing and the next day. Um, we have guys that'll you know pitch in a game and then hop on an airplane and wear it um, while they're flying. Um, I like it in this context because it's it's non-fatiguing muscle activation. Uh, effectively, it's active recovery, but without all the extra effort and muscle fatigue that you know goes with actually going out and exercising. Um, so this probably blurs the line between tissue-specific and systemic approaches to recovery because you're stimulating not only the actual tissues utilized in throwing, but also some stuff upstream and downstream via the fascial and the lymphatic system. So, um, you know, those are things that I, I think have a ton of merit. Um, the day after throwing, I love aerobic work, just not the classic go for a long run stuff. Um, an aerobic base is super helpful, but I'd rather see athletes build it while getting some movement variability. To that end, we'll often use mobility circuits with minimal rest between sets 
um, to get the job done. So you know, that's something that guys on a day one, you know, assuming day zero is the start day, they'll go out and do some of that stuff. Um, I like this because you can also bias this to individual needs, right? If you have someone who has really poor anterior core control, you can work in some bear crawls or some inchworms. Um, if you have someone that you know has a you know history of, of hip issues um, because it gets too stiff, maybe you work in extra mobility stuff. There's all these different things that you can incorporate. Tight guys get more range of motion stuff. Loose guys get more low-level stability drills. Um, so there's a lot of different directions you can go here. So I, I'd rather not make specific uh, directives with respect to drills, but rather tell you understand whether you're a tight guy, whether you're a loose guy, or whether you're someone in the middle and start to just appreciate what kind of motion you lose when you go out and you pitch. And it's probably going to be dependent on your mechanics and you know the, the amount of training you've done, how long you've been throwing. The older you get, the more range you're probably going to lose. Um, and then you know find some things that are individualized and attack it by these, these options. Um, additionally, for some additional podcasts on this topic, um, definitely check out the Brandon Marcello episode in uh, episode 14. He talked a lot about really good sleep strategies. Gary Reinel, um, who was involved with Mark Pro, was on episode 34. He spoke with respect to you know how icing may not be an appropriate sports medicine um, solution. My solo episode, episode 19, covered distance running for pitchers, so we kind of touched on some of these topics. Um, full disclosure, Mark Pro has been a sponsor to this podcast, um, but truthfully, I, I'd sing their praises regardless. Um, if you go to markpro.com and enter coupon code Cressy at checkout, um, you'll get 10% off your order. That's something that a lot of our pro guys and college guys and high school guys actually use. Um, we have at the facilities for our athletes, and it's definitely been something from a, a recovery standpoint that I know has been impactful for us allowing to push guys harder and, and still have them recharge and, and come back the next time out and, and put in good efforts. Now we're on to our second question. Uh, with the lost 2020 season, how should NCAA pitchers adjust their throwing and training in preparation for 2021? Um, this is actually a really good question and, and something that I've, I've actually been asked a lot by our college athletes and frankly, a lot of college coaches who are you know thrown with this once in a lifetime, hopefully um, scenario that they've got to overcome. And, and I think uh, there's, there's really two responses that you can make to this. Um, you know, the first is, is kind of the optimist response and the second is the, um, you know, kind of the pragmatic, how do we attack this response? So on the first side of things, I'm a glasses half full kind of guy. So I would just call attention to the fact that this is an awesome opportunity to experiment to see what works in the middle of your career. And you might never get that chance again, right? What we know is the second you leave high school, everything tends to be very, very structured, right? There's specific beginnings and ends to the season. Um, the off seasons never seem to be as long as you want them to be. You're always racing to recover. Um, so really, this is a, an opportunity to experiment to see what works well for you. Maybe it's an opportunity to learn a new pitch. Maybe it's to you know make a you know some refinements to your swing. Maybe it's a chance to completely change your body and overhaul your nutrition and lift weights more. Um, or maybe it's just an opportunity to attack some other weakness at a time when it would previously be really challenging to do. Um, you know this is nice because it's in a time when you can afford to make mistakes and not lose out on innings, right? In other scenarios, like if you if you change your swing and you go out and you go oh for your first 28, you know chances are you're not going to be in the lineup. Um, so I think this is an opportunity in a low pressure environment to experiment, maybe be really successful, or if you fail, you fail with no consequences. So I think there are a lot of athletes that are appreciating this and they're, they're starting to use it as an opportunity to grow. Um, but second, 
I think it's important to think about the force velocity curve and how it impacts our development. So what we know is that actually playing baseball, you know, going out and running, changing direction, throwing a five ounce baseball, swinging a relatively light bat, doing all these athletic things, it's generally going to bring you towards the velocity end of that curve. Okay, so um, we're not going to have a whole lot of external loading, um, you know, when we actually play the game. Conversely, strength training, you know, classic strength conditioning stuff is obviously going to take you more towards the force side. And this is great because, you know, when you're a freshman in college and you don't have a great strength foundation, those are the athletes that need to go in and put some meat on their bones and, and also put some strength in the right places. But one of the things that we have to appreciate is that, um, you know, there's a natural ebb and flow over the course of the competitive calendar, right? So a lot of athletes will get after it in the weight room in the fall and, you know, maybe it tones down a little bit over winter break as their throwing program ramps up and, you know, they start to build pitch count up and then, you know, all of a sudden they're playing games and they might only lift twice a week and then, you know, summer ball rolls around, maybe there's travel where you miss some time, um, you know, maybe you're playing in a, in a league in the middle of nowhere and you don't have great gym access, just it's never going to be optimal to really train for strength when baseball seasons are actually happening. So what's interesting though is, I think we're going to see a lot of athletes that, that kind of flip the switch and go in the other direction, right? That they're going to just turn this into a year-long off-season and focus on getting brutally strong um, in the weight room. And for some people, that may be good, you know, as long as it's done with the right exercise selection. And But I, my concern would be that it's done to the exclusion of things at the other end of that curve, right? So, you know, don't just get strong. You have to do it with, you know, regard to how to effectively use that force quickly. So there has to be a power training component. Um, and a lot of people are missing out on 80 to 100 innings of pitching. They're missing out on, you know, 75, 80 at-bats. They're missing out on stealing second base, running down fly balls in the outfield. All those things that really create the elasticity, the, the this you know, really the, the absolute power aspect of the continuum that I think we can often miss. So I hope people realize that the velocity end of the continuum Continuum is where you make your money on the baseball field, and it'll need to be prioritized at some portions of this training block if we want long-term baseball development and, and not just a bunch of weight room rock stars. So, you know, if, if you're someone that's listening to this podcast and you're you're already in the top 10% of strongest athletes on your team, then you probably have, are strong enough by now as we've we've worked our way through this, and it's time to use that force a little bit more, um, you know, efficiently. Um, be more powerful, not just the weight room rock star. Conversely, if you're still that, you know, that weak athlete, you know, you're, you're front squatting 135 pounds after a couple of years of college strength conditioning, like you probably still need to really push hard on, um, you know, that, that strength training block um, because that's where your biggest window of adaptation is. So just appreciate that you can't just live at one end, particularly when we're talking about an entire year um, before you get back to competitive play. So um, understand where you are on that, that force velocity curve and, and work to improve it. For question number three, we have advice for a strength and conditioning coach who's looking to work specifically with baseball players. Um, I actually get this question a lot, so I think it's going to be good to cover it and have this in one place where I can refer people to. Um, the first thing I would always tell you is remember that you have to be a good generalist before you're a good specialist. And this applies to absolutely any industry um, not just training baseball players. So as an example, you know, you need to have a good knowledge of, you know, functional anatomy before you start deciding whether you're going to work with tennis or baseball or hockey or football. You have to understand how the body moves and that's heavily impacted by its structure. So 
Um, this is something that I think a lot of people jump over, right? They go for very specific initiatives for their education before they've created a really strong general foundation. So make sure that you have put in the work to, to become proficient in a, in a general context, not just in the context of, uh, you know, understanding how a, a, a body moves, but also in terms of how to interact with people, uh, with, with coaching demeanor and all that stuff. Um, the next thing I would tell you is just remember that this is a different world, right? You have to emotionally separate yourself from what you think athletes should look like. Um, and in other words, most of your successful baseball players are not going to look like NFL running backs, right? They're not going to be cut out of steel like some of the guys you see playing at a high level in the NBA, right? So you need to think about what's going to make them successful, not just what's going to fit them to the model you have in your brain of what a successful athlete should look like. Often we see athletes who are very successful because of traits or characteristics, more so than just athleticism, right? So maybe it's that they have really long fingers and can manipulate a change-up effectively. Maybe they're athletes with tons of laxity, so they're able to contort their body in all different crazy positions. Maybe they just have an elite ability to spin a baseball or superior hand-eye coordination. These are all things that may differentiate them you know, from just raw athleticism. Certainly we want to train all the rest of it. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a big piece of the puzzle. Um, additionally, you have to appreciate that one of the many reasons why baseball players may not succeed, and certainly we're dealing in a sport where the overwhelming majority of players who get to professional baseball don't make it to the major leagues. One of the biggest reasons is injury. Right? If you get hurt, it lowers your likelihood of becoming a, a career baseball player. And, and that certainly happens not just in the major leagues, it happens in the minor leagues, it happens in college ball, it happens in high school, middle school, even in little league. And you know, so I think one of the other things you can appreciate is, is some of the research on why these injuries happen, right? Whether it's certain movement predispositions, um, whether it's strength or mobility limitations, overuse patterns, all those different things. You have to understand the culture of baseball that may predispose athletes to injuries and in turn not being successful. So that's some crucial foundational stuff. Um, with that said, you can instantly differentiate yourself in a few ways. First off, understand the actual hitting and pitching motions, right? The guys at OnBase, you have done a great job of putting this in a user-friendly format and, and their certifications. And you know, certainly there's tons and tons of research out there. Even if you just go on Twitter, um, with following different people with, with hitting mechanics, pitching mechanics, all that stuff. And certainly there are many, many different rabbit holes you can go down there. But there are certain competencies that, that all high-level throwers and hitters um, you know, do have in common. So it's important for you to understand what those are and at least be able to speak the language when you're starting to collaborate with skill coaches. The second thing I would say is get a foot in the door with an internship at a facility that works closely with baseball players on a regular basis. Obviously, this is, you know, what we've done for an extended period of time. And, you know, we've got, you know, 15 former interns who are working in, in professional baseball, I think, right now um, in different organizations. And, and, you know, certainly we've, we've hired folks from our internship and things like that. But, you know, there are other facilities that are doing a, a good job with this as well. So, you know, it doesn't have to be a you know, scenario where you travel all the way across the world. There may be something closer to you. But the important thing is that you have baseball players right in front of you on a daily basis and that you have mentorship from people who are actually looking at those baseball players and you know providing something that you can learn um, so that's the second one third speak spanish um, you know that's something i wish i had um, it would make me much more impactful as a coach. It would allow me to expand my reach. You know, this is a, a sport where there are a lot of Spanish-speaking athletes who are unfortunately very underserved because of that language barrier. So that's something that, that I'm working on now. And, you know, it's always a competitive advantage for young, uh, you know, up-and-coming coaches. So I always tell folks is, you know, if you're going to 
have aspirations of going into the baseball world and you're you know doing a college exercise science degree or an internship or something like that minor in spanish um, just go take some courses try to be around it as much as possible um, and then the fourth thing i would just say is volunteer and this can be at any level um, i think when when folks talk about wanting to work specifically with baseball players they you know this grandiose image of just going and, and working with major league baseball players you know whether it's with an organization or in the private sector and the truth is that everyone that that is in those positions you know started out with somebody else right they trained middle school kids they trained high school kids they volunteered wherever they possibly could whether that's helping out with a little league team you name it just being around the game and being around strength conditioning as it relates to the game um, is incredibly important so these are some actionable items that hopefully help you out. Um, certainly wish you well as you chase this dream. For our fourth question of the night, we have, should the strength and conditioning program for high school baseball focus on sports-specific exercises or compound exercises? Um, this will be a relatively brief response um, because I, I think the answer is that you don't have to choose. You can have some of both, right? Your high school athletes may not be baseball-only players. They may also be football, basketball, soccer, hockey, whatever it may be. So a lot of those exercises that you and your mind want to contraindicate may be really, really beneficial for those other sports. So what's to say that baseball takes the highest priority? Um, I think the name of the game with young athletes is giving them a lot of variety, giving them a rich proprioceptive environment um, where they have to you know, be faced with new challenges and figure out strategies for, for you know, uh, overcoming them. Um, with respect to sports-specific exercise or compound stuff, um, you know, from a compound exercise standpoint, you know, most athletes should be squatting, they should be deadlifting, they should be lunging, rowing, uh, you know, doing split squats, uh, push-up variations, you know, pressing variations, whatever it may be. And really what you find is that you may bias things towards particular sports. So what that might mean is, hey, I'm going to save my bullets and I'm just going to have my athletes front squat instead of back squat when I know they're overhead athletes and they're already getting really beaten up in that externally rotated position. Hey, I've got a lot of baseball players that also play football. Maybe I'm just going to use a landmine press instead of a barbell bench press because that allows their shoulders to, to their shoulder blades to move a little bit more freely in space instead of just being pinned down on a bench, right? Um, it may be the kind of thing where, um, you know, we have athletes that, you know, tend to, uh, you know, get into trouble when they spend way too much time doing bilateral exercise. So we need to push single leg stuff a little bit harder with those athletes. And then last, you know, I think the, the bigger concerns for me with baseball is we are talking about the single fastest motion in all sports when we throw a baseball. So, um, you know, that's something that, you know, mandates that we train at some pretty extreme positions. So it's important to have good end range rotator cuff control. It's important to have the ability to posteriorly tilt the scapula. And a lot of things that you can get away with from a movement fault standpoint in some of these other sports, you just can't get away from uh, with in, in the baseball world. So that to me is where the sports specific uh, component comes in is, you know, most of these programs can be very good in a general sense. Um, but what needs to be more sports specific is the arm care aspect of it, the appreciation for hip shoulder separation and pushing med ball stuff instead of just sprinting and jumping. Um, just being aware that there, there are a lot of positions that you get into on a baseball field that you might not encounter, um, and certainly not the velocities um, you know, uh, you know, in any other sport. So just keep that in mind. Um, but I don't think you need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't think that baseball players are delicate little flowers who can't be pushed incredibly hard. You just have to be cognizant of what some of their limitations are, what some of their structural adaptations are, and then plan accordingly. 
That'll do it for episode 66. Thanks again for joining us. Wish you all a very happy 4th of July. Also, if you like what you hear, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us an iTunes review. Um, And certainly we welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just drop us an email at elitebaseballpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for your continued support.